Wow. Praise the Lord. I, I hate to end such good fellowship, but uh, this is my third time having the privilege to come and, and preach here. Uh, this is the first time, however, that I've noticed this little clock or watch that's up here, so... I have some friends who I used to pastor that are here today, and they can tell you a watch or a clock mean absolutely nothing to me. No. Oh, seriously, I do want to just uh, bring a word to you today that um, a lot of preachers probably across this country today are preaching messages, messages of reflection and messages of looking ahead towards the new year, new goals, new visions, new opportunities. And uh, mine is probably a variation on that theme, but in the bulletin you saw that uh, the title of my message was Stirring Up the Gift of God That Is Within You. And I hope before my message is through today that you come to the realization that you're loved by God and because you're loved by God, you're called by God. And the calling that is on you is that gift that is in you that needs to be stirred up. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of apathy I think there's a lot of just complacency. There's a lot of, sometimes there's too much comfort, I believe, especially in the United States. You go outside the United States and the church is completely different. If any of you have ever had the privilege to go outside the United States, you understand that they don't take for granted the privilege just to be assembled together. And so I think sometimes because the blessings that we have... uh, we can become a little bit too settled. So my job today, and I, and I pray that I'll be able to do that, is to stir you up a little bit. And uh, so I want to read a few passages from First, Second Timothy. There are two verses of Scripture listed in, your, in the program, but I want to just expand on that just a, a few. And I want to begin reading Second Timothy chapter 1. Verses 5 through 9, where Paul is talking to his son in the ministry, so to speak, and trying to encourage a young preacher. And, and I'll just say this, Brother Parker's not here, and we seldom communicate. When he asked me to fill in for him this morning, it was through text, and so we never actually had a face-to-face conversation. That's what technology does, and it's, it's good for that. But I think sometimes we need... I don't think we understand sometimes the weight and the burdens and the pressures that the leadership in our churches, our pastors and our elders and our deacons that sometimes, if they do it right, if they take their calling and their job seriously, the work that they do and, 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 and really understand the responsibility they have, they're under a tremendous pressure, a tremendous burden, a tremendous weight. Of course, God is there to lighten that load. And they always need to allow the Holy Spirit to come alongside and to bear up that burden with them. But I want to encourage you. And I'm not saying you don't. Like I said, Brother Parker and I have not spoken about this. But I just want to encourage you to be an encouragement to your pastor, those who lead you, your Sunday school teachers, those who work in children's ministry, and all aspects. Because any of us, If Paul was having to encourage his son in the ministry, Timothy, it's because he saw some warning signs. And he saw that the fire that was once burning so bright and vividly in this young preacher's life was beginning to wane 
and that flame was beginning to dwindle. How many of you remember when you first became a Christian and came to faith, how excited you were? My old pastor uh, that I got, came into ministry under, he used to say, you know, when you're first saved, you feel like you can take on hell with a water pistol. <laughs> and then we just, there's this paradigm, there's a shift. And we go from that fiery new convert, new Christian. We've got all this hope and we've received the forgiveness of our sins and life is changing. And then after 10, 12, 15, I became a Christian in 1987. That's a long time ago. 30 years I've been a Christian. Then we just sort of settle. Well, like that snow globe. I tried to find a snow globe, but you, can you believe Walmart doesn't even have a snow globe? I didn't think of it early enough, but it's like a snow globe that just sits on a shelf. You know, and you really don't get to appreciate it after a while. You got to shake it up. And so we need to shake each other up. Well, let me just begin reading. When I call, verse 5, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Paul said, you've got real faith. You don't have going to church faith. You've got real faith. Your trust and confidence is in the completed and finished work of what Christ did for you at Calvary. You've got that kind of faith. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And you know, some people in some churches during ordination services, when I was ordained, the ministers will come up and they'll very just gently and lightly and they'll put a hand on your shoulder and they may say a prayer. And there were so many preachers at my ordination... I mean, my legs went to sleep. They had me kneel down and, and they were laying hands on and, and, and they were praying and all that good stuff. But you know what? I, I, I think I know the Apostle Paul well enough that he probably just didn't come over there and kneel by Timothy. I know this was a letter, but I can just see Paul if he was face to face with him, not laying his hand on his shoulder and saying, Brother, I want to encourage you in the Lord. I can see the Apostle Paul taking him by the shoulders and just shaking him and shaking him and shaking him. And some of you might think that behavior would be kind of crude and boorish. But I believe because the Lord gave me this message to deliver to these people that there are probably some people in the Spirit that the Holy Spirit needs to get a hold of and shake almost violently. You understand what I'm talking about? Therefore, I remind you, verse 6 again, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Everybody say holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. A holy calling. Paul was trying to stir up in young Timothy. Stir up means to fan a flame, to rekindle. 
And so what I, what I want to do is stir up six aspects of the general call that is on the life of all believers. There are people who are called into ministry. There are people who are called to be missionaries. There are people who feel like it's their purpose in life uh, just to work with young people and, 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 or in the music. There are all types of callings. You know, I am called to preach. I'm also called to teach. Listen, right now... I. This is what I'm getting to do right now is better than Monday night at 7:45. Alabama fans know what's what do that mean? If you're an Auburn fan, you're, you're a little earlier in the day, right? I have fun here. You know why I have fun here? Because this is what I was created to do. And you may not be called to preach or called to teach, but there's something we all have, and there is a general call. Six, at least six, general general things that that are part of a general call. And uh, when a preacher stands up and says he's got six points, most people get a little bit worried, so I will talk quickly and try to cover some ground. (laughs) But the first thing, and it's the most important call that you'll ever heed, is the call to salvation. Matthew 9, verses 11 through 13 says, Then as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And so it was, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The first part of the general calling of any born-again child of God is you have been called into a personal, intimate relationship with God Almighty through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we lose the the power and the, the, the awesomeness of that calling. Listen, my last name is Garrett. I love my father. My mother has is, is, is gone on to be with the Lord. I mean, I love my birth parents. But you know, I have been given the right according to Scripture to call God Almighty Father. And every time, sometimes when I pray, and I open my prayer with that word Father, it used to get to me that I had direct access to the creator of the universe. But I, like most people, if I'm not careful, I'll use that word and I'll use that word until it has, it just loses its luster. It loses the effect. I forget that God, not just we, get, we need to have a bigger mind, a bigger vision, a bigger idea, a bigger picture, a bigger image of who God is. Everything that we see, everything that we're able to do, everything that we are is an extension of His grace in our lives. And let me just say this. Sometimes in churches, most of us define grace as God's unmerited favor. He did something for me that I didn't deserve, I couldn't work for, I didn't earn. But I want to just challenge you. And I don't have time, I did this Wednesday night at my church in a Bible study, but I expanded the definition of grace from just unmerited favor to include divine power. Now you say, well, you just can't make up and change definitions. But let me tell you this. 
In Ephesians 3.20, it says, For he that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever dare think or ask, he goes on to say, through the power that is in us. We have divine power in us. And I'll come back to that point in just a little bit. Everybody say divine power. I'm a former school teacher. I like participation. (laughs) Secondly, and this is one that we don't hear a lot about in the church anymore. But a a second part of the general calling on the life of each and every believer is that of holiness. We hear a lot about grace today, but we don't hear a lot about holiness. And I want to just read a few passages of Scripture to you. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children... See, he's got us right there. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. Now that's what Peter was writing. And some will say, some will quibble over, well, he was writing to Jews and he was not writing to Gentiles and we're Gentiles and we're not Jews. Are you saved? Because in the Bible there says there's no distinction for those who are in Christ. And I, I worry about those who who want to use semantics and and quibble over some of those things to walk out from under the Word of God. I love what Timothy says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, instruction, reproof, and correction. And, and, And this isn't a direct quote, but that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished to do the good work that he was called to do. But when you read that scripture in in Peter, it says, as he is holy, we should be holy in all of our conduct. Now, when when I talk about holiness, those people who know me best will start reminding me of what the unholiness that's in my life. That's okay. When you've been in ministry 20 years, you've got pretty thick skin and you can handle a lot of that stuff. Ah, listen. I have a sarcastic spirit. I've got a wicked sense of humor. I'm one of those who believes he's always right. I've got to be careful about being confident in Christ and not becoming arrogant in Christ. See, somebody asked me, because I'm ordained in the Baptist church, Southern Baptist Convention... I've been attending Appleton Assembly of God since January the 1st of 2015 where I teach college career. And somebody that goes to church with me asked me when they heard that I was coming to the Presbyterian Church, they said, do they know where you go to church? (laughs) Yes, and I preached there before, so I didn't do too bad because they asked me back. And let me just say this, and, and I'll get to some of this a little bit later. Are, do we, if, if we really sat around and talked long enough, will we come across differences in theology? Sure. But I'm not here to spend time on what divides us. And I guess I'm going to 
kind of get into another part of the calling. Let me just go ahead and jump there. And then I'm going to come back to holiness. Y'all don't let me forget to come back to holiness because I'm at that age now where if I move, somebody's got to tell me where I need to go back to. Some of you are saying you're not that old. Well, anyhow, Colossians 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body. And be thankful. We live in a time... Well, if you watch news, and I honestly, I never thought as a news junkie and as a student of politics and and all of that, there was a time when I thought when I was in high school, I wanted to run for public office and one day become president. I wanted to be either president or professional wrestler. That's what I want. I either wanted to be Ronald Reagan or Hulk Hogan. Neither happened. But we live in a time when everything divides us. We're divided by politics. We're divided even by denomination. We're divided by sports teams. We're divided by race. We're divided by our financial backgrounds. And that's what we promote nowadays. I listen to uh, Doug Jones's acceptance speech the night that he was elected. I've heard so many politicians when they were elected talk about how they were going to work to bring the country together. Both sides say it. But it's not about one. It is, but it's not one country. It's about me. We have a country of 300 and something million people who are not wanting to become one We're wanting everything to be choreographed so that me, so that I benefit, I have my best life now. I'm serious. I tell you what, it got so contentious during the presidential campaign, I understand why people don't want to talk about it. But can I tell you something? Have you ever wondered, people say, I don't like negative politics. Well, can I tell you something? If it wasn't effective, negative politics wouldn't be negative politics. They are striking a chord somewhere. And we've got to be careful that that type of division doesn't come in the church. And let me tell you, it's there. When I left my church that I would pastored 14 years, I had to go back a couple months later to conduct an ordination service. My godson was being ordained into the ministry. And a gentleman who I thought would just be glad that I left. He was one of those that never seemed to like me. No sermon ever tended to please him. But he seemed to, when I left, to be one of the people who it seemed to affect the most. And so I come back and after the ordination service, they had a little reception back there. And I was back there. It was still awkward for me because it was just 
I'm an emotional person and I've been given my life to a church for not just 14 years as pastor, but I'd been there since 1980s. 28 years of my life was spent at this church, so three months after I left was kind of hard. And this gray-haired fellow, and I say that because sometimes we think just because you've got a little age, you've got a little wisdom. We look at some of these kids who run the street and are disrespectful and don't know how to act and behave. Can I tell you something? If they don't let God and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God change their lives, they're going to be that same way. They're just going to be older. They're going to have gray hair, no hair, and wrinkles. The Bible says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for your life. Listen, becoming, growing up, and becoming wise, and becoming mature, and becoming a, a, a disciple of Christ, it just doesn't happen. It takes work, dedication, commitment. But he called me over there. And and so I really didn't want to sit at the table because I didn't want to just be there that long. So I just knelt beside him. He said, I'm disappointed in you, Brother Brian. I'm like, I resigned and left. You ought to be on cloud nine. I say, I mean, when I preached it, it was between 45 minutes and an hour. And he was one of those who thought if you weren't, if it couldn't be said in 20 minutes, it just doesn't need to be said. I'm like, have you ever tried to read the Bible? This isn't some short little love letter. I love you. Do you love me? Check X or, you know, yes or no. How many letters have you ever received in the mail that had this many pages? You know what? You, you're not going to survive spiritually on snacks. And it's not just length of sermon, but I'm talking about your time in the Word and your time with God. See, we don't sit down around the table, at least in my family we don't anymore. We just go by and we just pick and we eat and we just all ramble, do our own things. Is that kind of like your house functions, Christmas time? Used to, you sat down, I had an assigned seat and a assigned piece of the chicken. I did. We don't fellowship anymore with God. It's funny how I had to disrupt your fellowship. And that's beautiful to see. But let me ask you this. If fellowshipping with those people was that important that you would almost feel like I did you a disservice by interrupting it a little prematurely, Do you know where they live? Do you have their phone number? You can text. It doesn't have to be an hour-long conversation. I quit taking up prayer requests in my Sunday school class. You know why? Because we never had time to learn. We never had time to study. All we had time to do was talk about what was wrong. What you got? Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man has much power. Oh, I agree, and I pray. I pray all the time. I'm praying right now, and I'm talking to you because I'm reading some of your faces, and let me tell you something. I need to shake you up. You thought I forgot why I started this story. No, this old man that I used to go to church with asked me over the table. He said, he said I'm disappointed in you. I'm like, well, what did I do? And he says, well, I heard where you're going to church. Remember, I'm talking about unity, one body. I heard where you're going to church. I said, yeah. 
He said, well, have they got you running pews yet? Because Pentecostals are pretty charismatic and this, that, and the other. I said, no, we just jump them. (laughs) And I just turned away and walked away. Because it's almost like if I wasn't a part of Zion Hill Baptist Church anymore, I wasn't a part of his family. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. I know it's hard to get different denominations together, and I'm not promoting an ecumenical movement because we have to know what we believe. But can I just ask you during this coming year to not focus on everything that's different? Can I tell you something? If in your life you have chosen to surround yourself with people who think like you, look like you, act like you, talk like you, vote the same way, root for the same team, can I tell you, you're probably selling yourself short and aren't embracing the calling that God has placed on your life. In my church, that would have got an amen. Somebody might have clapped. We're called to salvation. We're called to unity and to peace. We're called to holiness. And I want to go back to holiness because it saddens me that every time someone has an issue, some sin, an issue with sin, this is the defense that I get all the time. Well, I'm, I'm just human. Nobody's perfect. Well, I'm not a moron. I understand that. But, but I'm saved by grace. Well, praise God for that. But can I tell you something? That same scripture in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that talk about the fact that we're saved by grace through faith, not of our works, lest any man should boast. It goes on to say, but we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Unto good works. And then in Titus 2, it says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. The same grace that called us into relationship, is calling us to to live a different life than we lived before we came to Christ. Now I'll go back to that scripture that I quoted, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Yeah, we are transformed into His image. That means it's a process. The Bible teaches little by little from glory to glory we are transformed into His image. I understand that. But are you allowing that process of transformation to take place or are you hindering that by your will, by your emotions, by your desires? Many times, our, and that's really the soulish flesh man, how I think, what I want, and how I feel. Good gracious alive, if I hear how I feel one more time, I'm not saved by feeling. I'm saved by fact. There is an eternal truth that was really spoken before this world was ever began. 
We read it in John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a truth that was really spoken. The Bible says before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. Makes me wonder why we're so confused as why the Lamb of God had to be born in a manger. Wouldn't you expect the Lamb of God to be born where he was born? To die in my place, to die in your place for your sin? We are called to salvation. We are called to holiness. We are called to unity and peace. And I'm just going to pick, I got three left, but I'm going to pick one. And we're called, and this is not popular, but this is why people walk away from the church. This is why people sort of give up on God. And I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but how many people that you know have left the church? Something happened. It didn't fit into their mindset of what following Christ meant. And can I tell you, life, and I'm finding out, I'm 44, I'll be 45 in about six weeks. Life is different than it was when I was 28. When I first started in ministry, I was bivocational. I taught school and then did the church. When I was 28, 27, 20, I could do that. I could live off of four hours of sleep. Now? I say, I want peace in my life. And I have found out as I get older, some people say when you get older you need less. For me, for me to be somebody that you can actually get along with, I need about eight hours of sleep. You say, well, that's not spiritual. Can I tell you this? If you're doing something that is impeding your ability to control yourself and present Christ in a more godly likeness, then it is a spiritual issue. That's why as as an avid Alabama fan, I'm probably, you know, I I know me, I'm probably just going to have to DVR the game. Because it comes on too late. See, i got to work Tuesday morning. And I can't stay up to me. I won't be up tonight when the, 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 the ball drops or the blueberry drops or the... Everything's dropping. Pelicans and <laughs> West Palm Beach. they got this big high heel shoe stiletto heel that drops down. Everything's dropping everywhere. Well, it'll drop without me. See, I... I I got to a place in my life where I just didn't like me. I, and and, and, and I, was, I was expecting a prayer to fix everything that was wrong with me. I'm going to go to church, say a prayer, and then I'm going to get fixed. And this has nothing to do with suffering, but this is the direction we're going. I said, God, I don't feel good. I don't know how a 40-something-year-old supposed to feel, but I think I should feel better. Can I tell you what he led me to do? He, he led me to quit drinking Diet Cokes. Listen, I'm not telling you you've got to give up Diet Cokes. I'm not one of those old holiness preachers who said you can't watch TV. That's not what I'm saying. I cried out to God because I wasn't satisfied. It was too easy for me to settle. And it was getting too hard for me to be who I needed to be. I'm talking about some practical stuff. Sometimes we miss the boat and God's right in front of our face. 
See, I, see, I had to give up Diet Coke because my mind was really starting to betray me. I did enough research on brain food to realize what aspartame does to the mind. And I realized it may not get any better, but I, I, I really didn't want to help it get worse. And it wasn't some whim. I didn't watch Oprah or Dr. Phil or something. In my quiet time with God, He revealed to me as only He can to you. Get rid of that Diet Coke. You know the next thing He hit me with? Caffeine. Now how are we going to survive without caffeine? Water just doesn't taste good. And then he said, well, I'm the living water. And you said, well, you're just over-spiritualizing everything. I'm telling you how God deals with me. I know caffeine, they say, is not good for arthritis. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've read it somewhere. Well, if my bones are aching and I want to serve God with vigor, so, I, no caffeine, no Diet Cokes, eight hours of sleep. Well, Lord, I can't do everything I used to do. That's okay. We're going to focus on what's important. I, God's more interested on the type of person you are than everything you get to do. I'm going to go back to 1, 2 Timothy 1, 7, and I'll finish with this. You've got three or four things that you're called to do. You're called to salvation. You're called to holiness. You're called to unity and peace. We didn't get into enduring suffering. We didn't get into service. We didn't get into obedience. But maybe if I ever get to come back again, maybe I'll finish those points. But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. When it comes to embracing God's calling on our lives, there is a... And that word doesn't necessarily mean fearful like you're afraid. It means to be timid, awkward, or shy. Listen, I can talk politics with the best of them. I know both sides. I know what Trump believed or said. I know what Hillary said. I knew both sides. I studied. I watch Fox and CNN. Don't throw stones. <laughs> I do. But even a pastor, even a preacher of the gospel... Man, I can talk Alabama football. I can talk tennis. But why does it come with sharing my faith with somebody else? Whether I know them or not. How many of you have ever talked football with somebody you didn't know personally? How many of you did you have to develop a six-month relationship with before you ever discussed politics or football? I hear this all the time. Well, God wants to develop a relationship. And how many times do we hide behind our awkwardness about sharing our faith? I don't have time to get into why the awkwardness is there. Probably because we've let people see things in us and from us that maybe the inconsistencies make us a little awkward. But he says, I don't want you to be awkward and shy about your calling and who you are. And when he began to shake Timothy and stir him up, he says, I've given you a spirit of power. We're to be bold, confident, and courageous. What did God tell Joshua when he was preparing to lead Israel into the promised land? Be bold and courageous. Let me ask you this about your quick Christian witness. I know there's several of you who know me from working at the, the, at, at the hardware store. 
Am I always a bold and courageous example? No. God's had to stir me up. But is that how somebody would describe you in your character and your walk and zeal for God? Bold and courageous? Or you've heard this said many times, are you a part of the secret service of God? I'm one of the behind the scenes people. Oh, you lying to yourself. Granted, we need people behind the scenes up there. But I'm not talking about in the church service. I'm talking about in your life, in your home. Can I tell you something, parents? There needs to be a bold confidence and courage in the home to steer and rear our next generation. When children see and or don't see and don't hear a zealous love for God, it shows. They're learning. They're learning. I'm not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power. I want the First Presbyterian Church of Bruton to be a powerful place with powerful people. Because you've got divine power in you. I can't do that. I can't go talk to them. I can't, you know, I don't want to be like one of the Jehovah's Witnesses or I don't want to be like those people who stand out in front of Walmart and ask and beg. I don't think God asked did we want to. I I think he said go and make you disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then the uttermost. He didn't say how'd you feel. He said, I want you to be comfortable. And if it don't make you comfortable, then you ain't got to do it. <laughs> Paul's shaking you up and say, honey, you've, you've been getting it wrong. Power, love. I, I, I really define it this way. How we treat people. The greatest commandment is love the Lord thy God with our heart, soul, mind, body, strength, everything we are. The second is like this, that we love our neighbors ourselves. Jesus said in John um, 14, he said, one new commandment I give unto you, that ye love each other as I have loved you. And early in that chapter, he says, I have loved you unto the end. He's given us the power to be bold and courageous He's given us the power and the ability and the grace to love the unlovable, to love those that are different from us, to love the Muslim. You know, in this country, when we were talking about division, I know I'm running out of time, but I'm just, this has to be said. The greatest need for the Islamic community is not a nuclear bomb against it. It's not to eradicate those people from the face of this earth. Because but for the grace of God, that would be me. Somehow in the providential plan of God, I was born in the deep south. Well, Christianity and the Bible was taught and most families went to church. But let me ask you this. How do you get to God through Jesus Christ if you were born in Baghdad or Tehran? Can I tell you something? It would be a harder journey and a harder call to hear or to accept. We don't like them. Listen, Jesus Christ died 
What does John 3, 16? The world. He didn't die just for all the people that didn't need him. Think about that. I needed salvation. I needed a substitute. I, I needed that. Everybody needs that. And why did you pick Muslims? Well, because it's a religion and because there's such antagonism in our country for them. We're so afraid of them. They're terrorists, they're this, they're this, that, and the other. I don't want to get into immigration. Listen, the government's responsibility is to restrain and to eschew evil and to protect us. That's not the church's responsibility. The church's responsibility is tell the world about Jesus. And tell somebody you didn't like that. It's the government's responsibility to protect us. It's our responsibility to evangelize. Well, that went over really well. That's okay. We've gotten government church so confused we think the American dream is in the Bible and it's not there. We've got to be shook up, stirred up to know what's real. Can I tell you something? I can stir you up a little bit. You've laughed a little bit. Some of you have been very attentive. Some have been bored just to the point of almost... It's, it's, it's obvious. I'm not an entertainer. But I'm passionate about what the Lord has given me to give you. In 2018, God needs a stirred up church. In 2018, God doesn't need political activists. He needs a stirred up church. If you get stirred up, can I tell you, your marriage will change. He may not change, but you know what? You'll have a better grace to deal with that old rascal that won't change. Your relationships will be different. And you'll have power, love, and a sound mind. You'll start making better decisions that affect your future in life. I always feel like I didn't do my job good enough by stirring you up or whatever the message was. But I believe this, Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek and search for God with all of your heart, you will find Him. And it was my Diet Coke and my caffeine and my more time sleeping, getting more rest, so that I could be a, not just a better version of me. Stephen Furtick said this, and it opened my eyes. God doesn't need you to be a better version of you. He needs you to be Christ. He needs you to be Christ-like. We stop way too short. Because, see, the best version of me isn't enough. The best version of you isn't enough. And I don't mean to be offensive. That's just reality. I need to quit trying to work on Brian and start trying to be like Christ. Now let's surrender all. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. I'm Listen. I want you to, we, how, many, how many of you have sung this song before? And I know I'm probably going to pray and I'm supposed to lead you in this. And I didn't mean to put the musicians, I didn't want that transition to be awkward. Page 366, and we're going to stand and we're going to sing the first, second, the last. <laughs>